Hi there. For this week's episode of Dead Man's Forest, I'm going to play a conversation for you from up on the mountain between myself and my friend Patrick. It's a little different, and I have left it mostly unedited, with no internal commentary from myself. So I hope you enjoy. I'm Michael, and this is the Dead Man's Forest. And today I am here with my friend Patrick, who uh, has graciously accepted to share with us some of his life lessons that he finds very valuable and important to him. So welcome, Patrick. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you uh, want to want me to reiterate the story of the Dead Man's Forest, as I do in most of these conversations or if you I think it might be interested interesting for me to hear you <laughs> try and articulate what your understanding of the story is I can indulge you in that um, <laughs> well thank you yeah my understanding of the tale um, of the dead man's forest to paint a visual the way that I remember you describing it was such that there lay a man dead in a wasteland, um, surrounded with nothing, with no signs of life. And where the man's, well, presumably a man's, I should say, sure. where the man's head and heart would be, or were, instead sprouted this tranquil forest, bound with life and bound with possibility. Um, but it had not escaped its prison, if you would, I guess, of, of the dead man's body. And my interpretation of this was that we all experience life and have a unique log of these experiences and the way that we interpret them and interact with them and share them, that is very important to each of us um, and whether they are colored by our own biases of course they always are but mm -hmm. there is value in sharing and communicating those mm -hmm. that resonated a lot with me because the value is only ever recognizable in our ability to share ideas or communicate about ideas and that becomes increasingly difficult the more complex or the more personal they become but one of my favorite things in life is discussing those difficult things and trying to get those out in the air and trying to I guess determine if I am being reasonable in their interpretation hmm. well I I could not have articulated the story any better myself so thank you thank you for saying that yeah and then I guess what we're here to discuss Patrick is what how do you see some of those life lessons as playing a role in your life or what do you see them as being or what kind of feedback do you want about how reasonable <laughs> or unreasonable they are <laughs> that's an interesting question um, <clears throat> the the trouble is always, of course, 
defining what is reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that a lot of the value in communication, the kind of fundamental value in communication, is your the necessity by which you have to put them into words, the ideas that you have in your head and put them into words. Mm. And that is kind of the starting point of that grounding process or defining what is reasonable is, can you put it into words? And then from there, you might then need to determine what words you would choose or what intonation you would choose. Um, and that is something that is really unique about face-to-face -face communication mm. that is not afforded via other venues mm. or other avenues. And I think there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of reason. It seems to be traditional wisdom in that you would meet and speak face-to-face -face about matters of meaning. Mm -hmm. So, Interesting. I'm going to ask you to give us an example of that in just a minute. But it occurred to me as you were saying that to, that maybe we should give the listeners a heads up that Patrick and I are for the first time on Dead Man's Forest sitting together in the forest on the mountain. I have not done this before, so it is a bit of an experiment, and the face-to-face -face value that Patrick mentioned may give this conversation a different flavor than previous ones, so I am excited to find out what comes out of this. But Patrick, you mentioned figuring out what ideas to speak and then figuring out specifically what words to use to articulate those ideas. Did I understand that correctly? Mm -hmm. So can you give us an example of a time that that was challenging or a time that you thought that, just so that we can all kind of make sure that we understand I think what that you're talking about? The greatest illustration of this would be when trying to describe or communicate to someone else particularly irrational feelings. Um, fear is one of them, or can be irrational most times. Social anxiety, depression, those things where in order to try to encapsulate the feeling, it can be difficult to not lose something in translation to mm. language. Part of that is the beauty of the elegance of language in that we have agreed upon these sounds that we produce mm. in order to convey some ideas, but inevitably some of that is lost in translation. And I think that is some a lot of the value in communication in and of itself is once an idea has been represented or introduced, it can then via discussion be fleshed out because in reality we're all trying to understand better what other people are going through whether that is a natural process as being a social species or not i, I would wager some of it is mm. but as far as attempting to determine if my thoughts are reasonable is one of the great conundrums of language hmm. <clears throat> and and the examples you gave, fear, social anxiety, depression, are we presume that they are experiences that we have that other people have in the same way so that when we talk about them, they are referencing a similar experience in their memory, but we don't know that. 
That's always the goal, right? <laughs> that's, that's the hope. Right. Right. So are there any, any particular such experiences that you want to talk about today? One of the reasons that I was most motivated to, you know, seek you out and try to have these conversations was to explore that very idea where I had noticed that, and I think you had as well in your recordings, where a lot of the value for me in fleshing out these ideas and converting this into language is the feedback by which you get from the observer or the listener in this case. And you do a great job of soliciting feedback from listeners, but it's never in real time. Right. Um, and I find the, the greatest value is to be had in that real time response. And I'm running into the perfect obstacle right now is I'm having difficulty articulating why that is. All I know is that deep down in that feeling, there's some satisfying contentment that I experience when attempting to share ideas. And not even if it's agreement, and in fact, most times when disagreement occurs. Yeah. What you're saying reminds me of uh, one of the experiences I actually had, we, we all had in, in Death Valley on the Vision Quest, is that whenever we told the story of what happened to us in our threshold time, we took a couple days for everybody to go through this. Our four guides, immediately after we told our story, each expressed the reaction that they had to it. And that reaction might be them reading a poem that they thought of. It might be them telling a story that they thought of while we were telling our story. It might be them simply telling us our story back in their own words. It, it, it was all sorts of things. Some of them did little pantomime drama plays and things uh, and they were all very insightful people and very I would say emotionally wise so they knew how to listen intently to both your words and what was behind the words and mirror that back to you and it was immensely valuable so I do think I I understand what you're talking about are you thinking of something particular that you want to bring today um, to talk about <clears throat> I'm happy to disagree about anything. (laughs) (laughs) One of the recurring themes that I had kind of hit on when I was writing a lot of this down was how to accurately engage with the personal biases that we all have. Mm -hmm. And I think a facet of that is the motivation behind the Dead Man's Forest to begin with is that the value is that we all have our own unique personal biases. And biases can maybe be a loaded word, or maybe right. maybe lens may be a better, yeah. a better choice there. I was going to say, I um, don't think I would use the word bias, but it doesn't seem wrong mm-hmm. exactly. Perhaps lens might be yeah. a, a more evocative term. Mm-hmm. Bias seems to have a negative connotation. And I think for me, when... I look back at times where if I were to try to communicate to someone a life lesson, it would be to try to create procedures, internal procedures for identifying that lens and also creating... Identifying your lens or identifying their lens? Identifying your own lens. Okay. 
So your own personal lens, identifying the characteristics of that lens and the way that it influences both the input and the output of Mm. your system. Mm. Um, Particularly being cognizant of the subtle shifts in value statements that those may bring where they are a part of you and you see them certain ways. Like it's part of say engaging with art. Obviously you cannot say one piece of art objectively is better than the other. You could, you could try and people do. (laughs) Um, But I would argue that that's also part of hinting at why I, chose the word the language you choose right the words Mm -hmm. that you choose Mm -hmm. are all a part of that lens by which you see the world as well and if i were to try to convey a life lesson situations in my life that popped up recurringly are when at the time given the information i had i was certain that i was making either the best decision or that I was acting in the best way. And while some of that is inescapable, no matter what, we're always operating with incomplete information. That certainty is something that I have tried to better understand and maybe better dissolve such that you're not, I try not to operate on terms where I am certain, but I believe that this is the best decision to make for X and Y reason. Mm -hmm. A lot of times um, in my younger years, it was more, it was less analysis and more trusting of the gut. And some Mm. of that is the viciousness of youth, no matter what. (laughs) Um, The tyranny of youth, maybe you might say. Um, But being cognizant of the many perspectives and the many lenses that may be at play in a, in an idea was something that I think is very important Mm -hmm. and worth exploring. Yeah. What you're talking about is how all of these experiences that we have go into the creation of the lenses as the word you used Mm -hmm. that cause us to make the decisions that we do and we're largely unaware of those lenses Mm -hmm. so let's think of a general example um in my notes i got to the point where i would say as an example and then (laughs) (laughs) right um i'm thinking all right here here's here's an example of a conversation I I hesitate on Dead Man's Forest to speak of political things sometimes because I don't know I don't know how people react to them and they can be very emotionally charged for a lot of people. I tend to be a fairly progressive thinking person. Well, no. That's not I tend to think of myself as a fairly progressive person. I tend to be socially more liberal. My father tends to be more socially conservative. And we don't argue about it a lot, but the example that I'm thinking of is it it frequently upsets me how our president uses and has used 
language that demeans large groups of people in general, women or minorities or the like. I hope that that's specific enough that people know what I'm talking about. I was having a conversation with my father the other day, and he pointed out a situation in which President Trump's opponent in the last election, Hillary Clinton, used that term basket of deplorables to refer to a lot of Trump supporters. And it occurred to me that he looks at her and sees her as a judgmental, biased person in a very similar, if not the same way, that I look at President Trump and see him as a very judgmental, biased person. And neither of us are probably aware of the reasons that we think those things about those specific people. Is that a reasonable example of what you're talking about? I think it's a great illustration of at least the non-conscious sub I, I i hesitate to say subconscious but mm. more non-conscious method by which we apply value so there's some some cultural identity phenomenon occurring mm -hmm. where for whatever reason in this example an individual would champion one cause in for one individual but then i would say indict the cause from another mm. individual that is a good illustration of at least the lens, right? Determining how you would assign positive versus negative. Well, it's negative from this individual. I interpret it as negative right. from this individual. Right. Or as positive from the other. Hmm. To what extent do you think it's possible to identify those lenses that we have? What are some ways that we could do that? So... The way that I have had some modicum of success, it really was brought forth by some words spoken by the late David Foster Wallace, where he mentioned that everybody worships. And as a person with some strong feelings about religious tendencies, or religion in general that immediately struck me as something that I would want to reject. You consider Mostly, yourself to be a, a religious? Yes, a religious, I would say. And that immediately struck me as something that I would reject, at least the language used. Everybody um, worships. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and upon further reflection, I find that I believe he is very true. He's very accurate in that statement mm. where we all worship. And that was kind of the, the tipping point for me in this journey, I would say, maybe to identify my lens or identify what it is that I worship. What is that ephemeral quality that I use to measure value mm. statements or make mm. value judgments? And we all have... I would argue we all worship something. Mm -hmm. um, in, in my life, I found that at the time and up until now, I worship intellect. Mm. And one of the, for better or worse, measures of intellect is the use of language. I see. Particularly 
I, if I'm being honest, large words. I like <laughs> to use large words. And I would say that has an alienating quality depending on your audience. For some people, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's maybe an example, I guess, of of a time where it was kind of the birthplace of, oh, okay, there is this thing that I use as a measuring stick. I hadn't really realized what it was. It was more hiding in the non-conscious processes. But once I had identified it, I realized that there are aspects of that that I like and I will continue to embrace mm. but there are many aspects of that that do not help me navigate the world particularly in an emotionally charged world because ah, I see you're saying that your reverence for intellect is of limited value in trying to understand and negotiate the emotional landscape of interpersonal interactions yes it can be a limiting factor yeah. in my experience it is a limiting yeah. factor um, which is of course just my interpretation of it but yeah an application of it so i want i want to come back to that but first let me ask about i was curious about your reaction to what you read from david foster wallace do you think that your you initially disagreed and then you found yourself coming around to agree what was that process like or what were the reasons or what did you notice that caused that to happen so that was one of the most it was it had come in a time of my life where i was in my late 20s starting to kind of realize that the 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 veil of youth was being pulled back um, necessarily uh -huh. via some life events where you're starting to engage with, okay, thoughts of career, thoughts of what is contentment? What do I actually want to do outside of the influence of, say, your parents or mm -hmm. a system that you had thought of as an institution, an insurmountable institution? Mm -hmm. And it was more of a time where I was starting to try to identify what it is I actually wanted to do and more importantly why I wanted to do it yeah the what is always very easy to identify particularly in traditional culture you want a certain quality of life mm -hmm. and it's easy to paint a picture of what that is it becomes far more difficult when you start talking about the how and the why to motivate those, mm -hmm. or the acquisition, I would say, of the what. So in this, in this scenario, particularly for David Foster Wallace's words, I had previously grown to realize knee-jerk responses are often the outcome of either not understanding fully or allowing yourself that emotional response mm -hmm. to immediately invalidate an idea before you've explored it, mm -hmm. which also is a facet of the lens, right? Because of my personal yeah. lens, it was 
invoking parochial verbiage that I immediately disregarded and come to find out I had not engaged with it intellectually. Right. So the realizing that those knee jerk responses to me are a, a warning signal, a red flag to where when I experience the immediate invalidation or the immediate validation of something, those ought to be called into question to better understand the, f the full breadth of the situation. So was it, correct me if this is wrong, but this is the impression that I got. Was it Patrick hears everybody worships, Patrick thinks that's not an intellectual statement. Patrick rejects that statement on emotional grounds that it's not an intellectual statement. <laughs> so I think a better characterization would be I hear everybody worships. I think everybody worships a God and I, my lens has appropriated negative connotations or negative thoughts about worshiping mm -hmm. a God. Yeah or worshiping in general, they're kind of entangled at that point. Right. And then realizing that, well, there are things that I inherently value, and I think that's more what he was trying to evoke right. by you, the use of the word worship. Yeah. Because I personally did not like to feel as though I was deferred to being an agent of some other idea or some other cause or some other conquest you hear a lot of these traditionally brought up in literature mm -hmm. um, describing say you know the religious crusades or the conquest for mm -hmm. conversion amongst certain churches it is often used in religious contexts and i had relegated it to being in those contexts yeah. and hadn't realized that mm, it does apply to me as well right i think that's a fascinating example because one thing that you're saying essentially is that when your younger self heard David Foster Wallace say, everybody worships, what you actually heard was everybody worships a God. And so your lens actually caused you to hear something that he may not have intended to say. And it was only upon later reexamination of that that you, that you were able to see, okay, I think that maybe what he was saying was actually just this. And that I can accept that part of it. And what that tells me is that in general, we human beings have the ability to, if we listen, <laughs> if we listen both to ourselves and to other people, then maybe we can find the things in what they're saying that make sense to us. And it's only when we stay on our side of the lens and, and we misinterpret what they're saying that we can kind of characterize it as separate from us or as distasteful maybe uh, i might even say if we let the lens filter it for us without engaging in it is where i have found myself to end up in these situations yeah because at that point, it's our lens that is dictating our life instead of us. That seems like an important distinction.
This turned out to be a good place to pause the conversation. Patrick and I go on to talk about a few other topics, and I will be sharing those with you over the next couple weeks. But this is the end of today's episode. I want to thank Patrick for his courage in sharing of himself and his experiences, especially with wrestling with what he believes about worship, which is a very personal thing for most of us. His realization that our knee-jerk reactions to things, whether positive or negative, can be an indication to us that perhaps we have some unconscious bias there, some of the lenses that we talked about. I'm going to try to take that to heart personally and apply it to the example that I gave about how I think about President Trump in relation to how my father thinks about Hillary Clinton. I think I would do well to examine my own unconscious biases there and to, at the very least, try and be aware of them so that when it would be helpful, I can set them aside. Thanks for listening today. I hope that you got something out of the conversation. If you have any thoughts about it or if you find yourself having any knee-jerk reactions of agreement or disagreement, please tell me. There's a contact form at the bottom of my website, deadmansforest.org. I always love to hear from you. Until next week, bye-bye.